Welcome back to the Balancing Act podcast. I'm Andy Tempty. On this show, we explore the balancing acts we play each day in our professional lives by amplifying the voices and real-life stories of accomplished business leaders we can all learn from. Today, we'll be learning from Oliver Downer. Oliver is a transformational digital product and technology executive with experience at major brands like Best Buy and Kaplan. Welcome to the show, Oliver. Hi, Andy. How's everything in La Crosse, Wisconsin? Oh, it is. It, it's been such a weird spring. We had like a week of uh, 85, 90 degrees and then uh, and then it snowed a foot and a half. <laughs> so uh, it's typical uh, late April in western Wisconsin, as you know. It fooled you for a bit and we've had similar weather up here in the Twin Cities. Yeah. Well, in the spirit of full disclosure, uh, Oliver, Oliver and I used to work together uh, at Kaplan. Uh, we've been uh, friends for, uh, gosh, uh, nearly 20 years, right, Oliver? Actually, we just hit the 20-year mark a month ago. Uh, we did, yes. Uh, I can always uh, rely on my dear friend Oliver for the, for the precise, precise date that something happened. <laughs> Thank you for that. Oliver, before we get started, uh, it would be great, as we always do with all our guests, if you told our listeners your story. Sure. Well, we talked a little bit about geography, so I'll just kind of go through it from a geography perspective. I was born in Tallinn, Estonia, migrated to Chicago during the 80s when uh, it was very difficult to get out of Estonia. I then went to school at Madison, Wisconsin for economics, not for technology. Finally moved to uh, La Crosse, Wisconsin, where of course uh, I worked as a self-employed, self-starter consultant, mostly for Honeywell. Then joined you at Kaplan Swayzer and Kaplan Professional, leading several rounds of digital transformation and ed tech product revolutions. And then most recently I've been in the Twin Cities working for Best Buy, uh, specifically within Best Buy Business, and then the Best Buy Contact Center space. Well, thank you for that. The you know your origins uh, in uh, in Estonia those always just kind of catch me off guard every every time every time I hear that that you were born in Estonia. That's so cool. Uh, if you had to pick one event in your life that just put rocket boosters uh, behind your career, what would that be? Well, I have several throughout the career, but since we talked about Estonia, I'd actually like to go back to it because it was the beginning for me. So after college, I had that degree from the University of Wisconsin in economics, a school that's slightly better ranked than your Iowa Hawkeyes in in many categories. Mm. But I really didn't know what to do for a career. I was pretty sure I didn't want to move to New York or Washington to be an economist. I was sure I didn't want to be a salesperson, which is where a lot of the job offers were coming. But I had a good training in terms of being uh, generally aware. And I went to Estonia for an internship just after I graduated. I worked on economic policy at the foreign ministry. I compiled the European Union questionnaire for that year in terms of trying to get into the European Union. I wrote speeches for the foreign minister and for the president. But what I also worked on was website. Uh, I worked on the foreign ministry's website, writing articles, learning how to publish, starting to play with the UI. And that led me to several months of self-discovery of how to become uh, a web person, a technologist. 
And within months, I got my first consulting gig as a technologist, and then several years later, moved into technology management. Oh, that's, uh, you know, you, you told me that story about, about the internship in Estonia, but, but one, once again, it, it always kind of takes me by surprise the, at a very young age, how directly involved you were, uh, uh back, back in Estonia, writing speeches and, and all of that. It's, it's just fascinating. Um, you know, you, you've been leading technology teams now for two decades, if you had to choose the most important balancing act that technology leaders play, we'll focus on technology, what would that balancing act be? I think the, the balancing act that every technology uh, leader faces is in the gray areas. And a lot of stuff is not black and white. The one I specifically think about is legacy technology versus digital transformation and innovation. It's the short term versus the long term. There's such a tension between innovation and operational excellence when I think about technology teams and technology leadership. Most departments and their leaders are not as burdened by technology legacy decisions, I think, as we are in technology. Think about it this way. In technology, we call it technical debt. I don't believe there's such a thing as marketing debt or accounting debt. In fact, their debt is often, once again, systems and technology, where the IT team has to fix it. I think you see this where you're so burdened by legacy decisions in terms of how long CIOs have a tenure. The average tenure of a CIO is something like 20 to 25% than other C-level executives, and it's like 40% less than a CEO. Your budgets are also faced with that major challenge of maintaining and supporting systems, that's usually 30 to 50%. But, but, but it's not just the spend, it's the time you focus on it. Uh, you're further impacted by the lack of long-term vision in a lot of our corporations. Uh, look at what happens when economic conditions change on the macro level, like they have in the last couple of years. You immediately stop a lot of those system modernizations, which then cause further challenges. I think it's a situation where you call, where you have the haves and have-nots, even within IT. Are you the person who's building the new, shiny, cool stuff, or are you supporting the old stuff? Finally, I think about how this has changed in the technology leadership world in the last few years by all the proliferation of C-level terms. It's not just a CIO anymore. You sometimes have chief digital officers, chief product officers, of course, chief technology officers, and even the... Uh, chief information security officers. They're all now being brought into the organization because there's awareness of the new stuff and the old stuff. But in many ways, that creates more conflict as well if they're not all on the same page. So I think that's the the long-term versus short-term is really impacting technology, but it's the whole company that is depending on that technology leader and their organization to solve that problem. Yeah, and the undertone that I'm hearing uh, from your answer there is... Uh, really the, 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 the constant shifting that's occurring as technology leadership uh, comes and goes and then the, the, the new ideas, quote unquote, that the, uh, that the new individual brings in and kind of swings everything uh, all, all around, uh, changing direction of 
what is really a very large, uh, a technology organization is a very large ship that, uh, that needs that, uh, consistency uh, and that rudder, uh, that, that firm hand on, on the rudder. So I, I'm, I'm hearing that longevity of, uh, of leadership, uh, really, really playing in as well. Am I right about that? Well, definitely. And, and sometimes, you know, a leader comes in, has their preferences in technology. So you now shift gears from one major brand to another. Uh, all of these things are difficult when you are constantly shifting and not sticking with the long-term outcome, the goal, which of course should be customer focused and should be trying to have as modern, you know, much modern technology as possible. The reality is you keep paying for the old stuff, but a key thing to remember, the revenue and the operating income is usually being generated by the old stuff too. Right. Yeah, that 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 whole digital transformation versus are we taking care of our uh, of our legacy technology systems which are uh generating the cash that the that the business is relying on. Uh, you and I have lived that uh, directly uh, multiple times. So uh, thank, thank you for bringing all of that into the foreground because we just don't, I don't think we talk about that I- enough. Uh, so let's shift gears to you. Uh, looking back at the arc of your career, what's the most important balancing act that you've played that's had a direct impact on your success as a leader? Is the answer different from the first or, uh, or, or does it have undertones uh, that are the same? Well, when I think about myself and many technologists, we often start as individual contributors where we have to learn a technical skill in order to be able to have success at a company, at a job. For me, my first pillars were built on customer experience, customer service, and the business acumen. That's how I learned to be successful. The balancing act for me was starting to step up my game in terms of leadership. And I mean inclusive, collaborative leadership. Originally, I was really built on fairness. Um, I thought everything should be fairly close to 50-50. For me, uh, I didn't always want to go about 50% in terms of connecting and engaging, because I thought the other person's not playing uh, fairly. However, the kind of shift for me started to be as I was maybe four or five years into leadership roles that said, I need to be a servant leader. I need to be a bridge builder. I can comfortably say I can no longer be the smartest person in the room. So starting to focus on small uh, interactions with people, hiring folks that I knew could go further than I could, We talked about the technology in that legacy system and a new system. You have to have so many skills. You can't have one person just trying to, you know, lead the way. You've really got to create other leaders. So for me, it was starting to balance that act between truly being a leader, an evolution that continues by all means, focusing on people and collaboration ahead of any of the other pillars, and I, I even often think about uh, one of my favorite you know, concepts of leadership, which is that in technology, you have a lot of individual contributors, even today, that need to be leaders. Leadership is not a title. Everybody needs to be a leader in many ways, and I think that's really important in technology. There's a quote by Kevin Cruz I saw in 2013 in Forbes that I often think about as like one of the best definitions of leadership. And it's something like leadership is a process of social influence 
which maximizes the efforts towards the achievement of a goal. So even in 2013, just 10 years ago, I really started gravitating towards that message as one of the things I remember all the time in terms of leadership. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, I, I remember you, I know you as one of the smartest people in the room. Uh, so please take that as a compliment. Um, it, how do you, do you have any tips and tricks for other people like you who are super, super smart and you, and you're pretty confident that you've got the answer, but you also need to draw the best out of your people. What do, what do you do to uh, kind of check yourself and go, no, I'm not going to jump in with the answer right now. I'm going to let uh, the, uh, I'm going to let the group uh, think more carefully about this. Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, one of the ways to do that is to build systems or logic of how people think. I've, I've met a lot of great technologists who knew answers, but weren't really able to put them together in terms of thinking of the long-term vision as well as today. So one of the things I try to do, and, and I really don't know the answer as I go to new teams, as I take on new technologies, I try to create a framework of questions, of inquiry, where I challenge the folks that really do know the answers, but they might not know how to articulate them today to start giving those answers. That's such an important concept because now they're part of the solution. They're not being told that this is what you should do. And by all means, even you know, in the last few years, there's always a zigzag of how we learn together, how we understand. And part of the other rigor I've put in is just to be persistent of continuing to try to explain these basic pillars that I have and make sure that the technology solution is quite frankly the last thing that comes up. Try not to jump to conclusions. You might be wrong. And, and try to get the team to formulate around the ideas. You're still guiding them. Uh, but when, when a person finds the answer for themselves, it's a lot more powerful. Quite frankly, Andy, one of the other ways that I learned for, for this experience is to have teenagers. Uh, having kids learn as teenagers is an amazing concept for helping you to build patience and persistence and realize that sometimes you can't drive that answer home today or maybe even this week. It might take some time. Yeah, well, we can learn at home, bring those learnings uh, into our into our professional world. Uh, and I and what I heard from your answer really was that if if you're one of those leaders who is just super duper smart uh, like you are, it is the art of the question and drawing uh, and utilizing that art of the question that uh, that kind of uh, provides that environment for a half halt that then uh, allows the the group to to really shine. So. Uh, thank you for that. We're going to take a really short commercial break and we'll be right back with Oliver Downer. I'm Andrew Tempty. The alignment of personal purpose with that of the business we lend our talents to is essential to achieving optimal work-life balance. But do you know what your personal purpose is? To help answer this crucial question, I've created a guidebook to help define your personal purpose and a vision statement to serve as your North Star. Visit andrewtempty.com purpose to download your free copy today. And we're back with Oliver Downer talking about the balancing acts that leaders play. Uh, 
Oliver, on this show, we talk a lot about lifelong learning. Can you help us understand your personal journey of lifelong learning? And how does the concept of balance play into an individual's journey to becoming a lifelong learner? I think first it starts with some formal education, which most of us have had in in high school and college. For me, beyond that, it's really been focused on curiosity. I talked a little bit about customer experience and business acumen. For, For me, it's always having to learn information to be part of how I make decisions, how I help to uh, have folks around me learn the kind of overall wisdom of what a company is. But it's also important to not just be focused on business learning. I think it's important to be well-rounded. So I do watch documentaries, read almost anything I can at a 10-minute burst, do some LinkedIn trainings, but they're on a variety of topics. They're, they're not just technology-focused. They're not just business-focused. Uh, one of the things I'd like to do at work is to have quizzes with a diverse group of folks. It's created engagement. You know, we talk all day about our businesses and what we're producing. We would have regular quizzes about politics, geography, sports, pop culture, just to create that mindset of learning. And this is really interesting in technology because we have folks all around the country, all around the world. English might not be their first language. It's amazing how they have different perspectives and different knowledge. Uh, Once I played uh, simple kind of, uh, are you smarter than a fifth grader games with them or family feud games. And what I thought would be a really easy, successful experience was awful because I learned how differently we had learned and we were not able to play that game. But it, again, generated an understanding of how everybody thinks slightly differently, has a different way of interpreting. So I think it even helps us as teams because then I can rely on that experience as I talk to the technology folks and say, hey, did you see how Kelly didn't understand something that seemed like a very simple, basic fifth grade concept? We're thinking about the way we learned it in fifth grade. They learn differently in a different country, perhaps. So I think that well-roundedness is important. You also can't overwhelm yourself. So, you you know, I can get uh, focused on learning on the Internet for hours on day. It's it becomes obsessive. At the same time, you don't want to stop learning. So you got to find that right timing. One of the things that I've leaned into recently is uh, a women in technologies group at Best Buy. I was invited by the women to be the first man to join a steering committee that's that stretched the the wit group to allies and advocates. Cool. They, there we learned about microaggressions and the negative impact they have. So one of the things I'm also big on is not just learning, but trying to make some connection relative to your work life. I also forget stuff. Uh, everyone's got great messages on learning. Right. Who's there's a different one that comes out all the time. There's great authors. One of the things I do for my learning is try to put it into practice. And I I grabbed a printout of this. I usually have a digital version, but I have a placemat, which has different things that I use to remind me of, of things I should be doing, messages I should be giving. And then, of course, if there is a challenge that we have where perhaps learning and leadership applies, I write that specifically out on one half of this document. So that just like a sprint in IT, 
every week or two, I'm keeping an eye on, am I practicing what I preach? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a never ending lesson because you, you, you might've learned something, but you forget it in practice a lot of times too. Yeah. You know, actions speak way louder than, than words. And I love that, uh, that tip that you just provided to our listeners. You know, if you've, if you've said something, if you've made a commitment to change or, uh, or, or to a goal, uh, write it down so that you are, uh, it can remind yourself, oh yeah, I, I, I made that commitment both to myself and my team. Uh, I, I, I'd better follow through. So, uh, thank you for that. Um, you know, on this show, we also frequently discuss the balancing act that we have to play between technical skill and human skill in the modern world of work. And, You've uh, alluded to that thus far in your comments today. As a technology leader, what's your perspective on getting this balancing act right? And we'll play a little thought experiment. Uh, Suppose you have an early career technology leader right in front of you right now. What advice do you give to them to balance the human and the technical as they begin their career? I think the human skill is continuing to be more important in technology leadership. Um, you, I think it's harder to teach attitude. You really got to have the right attitude towards um, communication, problem solving, collaboration. In technology, you have such a wide variety of folks you're working with. I've had 30 stakeholder groups, meaning different teams that are dependent on our technology at some of the large companies I've worked with. Every one of them is in a different state of learning, understanding. We as technologists, I think, have to go above and beyond more now than ever. You know, 10, 15 years ago, you could hide some of the stuff you were doing in technology. Now, with digital transformation, it's not just the technology team's technology, it's really the company's technology. Most companies' success is built on technology. The first place I learned that was with you. When nobody knew what Kaplan Swayzer was in La Crosse, Wisconsin, but through technology, they knew who you were in New York, on Wall Street, in all the larger financial centers around the world. You got there because of technology. You were able to be successful from a small town as opposed to being right in New York. I think that the technical side, while important, There's a lot of change there. So you've got to keep learning there. Uh, Think of ChatGPT. You know, now who who would have thought of ChatGPT and AI at the level that we do today just two years ago? I can now go have ChatGPT do research for me like a really good intern on new tech stacks. I can have it write code for me. But you still got to give it the parameters. You still got to think about how to take those parameters and communicate with all those stakeholders and with all those technologists. If you have 100 technologists and even have them go use ChatGPT, they all might ask that question, set those parameters in a search differently. So you got to unify that. So my recommendation would be to a, to a young technologist today is to spend at least two-thirds of your time on the human side. The more seasoned you become, I think that percent is closer to 80% where you're focused on the human side making sure that people are constantly developing, that they're engaged, that you're focused on their strengths, right? If, if you're focused on their strengths and you're a 
good at communicating, usually those are happy technologists. It doesn't always have to be the greatest tech stack. It might still be that legacy tech stack. If you do those things, uh, I think it keeps your team in a, in a pretty happy state. And technologists are in need. So they have reasons to jump jobs. So you've got to do that as a technology leader to help keep them. Yeah. I, I love how throughout this uh, conversation, you've really been shining a bright light on business acumen and uh, the cross-functional, the need for, uh, for high-functioning, uh, cross-functional uh, relationships. Uh, and, you know, you haven't said out loud that word relate that phrase relationship building but that's what it's all about and i really appreciate you uh shining that bright light um we're, we're getting close to our the end of our time together uh so uh, i'm going to put you in a time machine now uh and uh and if you could send a message to an earlier version of oliver oliver downer what would that message be and what previous version of yourself would you send it to well i'd go back about 20 years and tell him which technology stocks to buy and hold so i could be a billionaire right now <laughs> oh come on well, if you don't let me get off that easily um i would i would think no. of some of the things that are along that learning journey that I've picked up over the last 20 years. Lean in more into people's intentions early on. Think of the small differences of how we think, speak, and especially deal with change management. Like you said, it, it is about building trust. You know, it is that fundamental concept of building trust so people can have a family-like conversation. It's a kitchen table conversation at work when you see some of the best results. I would tell that early version of me to um, be proud of displaying inclusive leadership behaviors, uh, be comfortable in his skin younger uh, about being vulnerable, showing grace, uh, having empathy. These are not things that you learn you know, early on when you're trying to be a tough technologist solving problems. I would teach the younger me to not sweat the small stuff as well. Uh, don't try to be as much of a perfectionist. Let some stuff slide. I also think that we've learned some neat stuff in the last few years with the hybrid model of how to work differently, how to be more flexible in how people are coming in and out of work at home, in the office. And finally, I, I think it's true for most of us, work-life balance. I wish I would have been stronger on mindfulness, breathing exercises, meditation earlier in my career as well. You and I both, we could have uh, created a little, a little group, a little mindfulness group uh, uh, back in the early days of, of Kaplan Professional. I think that would have uh, helped, certainly would have helped me uh, immensely. Uh, Oliver, final question. What's next for you? Where are you going? What's your passion? Well, my passion is really, I think what we've talked about, which is fostering cross-functional culture. Uh, culture of collaboration and inclusion, along with business acumen and customer obsession, in order to make an impact through continuous improvement and digital transformation. I've, I think any role I've had in various companies has been focused on that. I'm realizing it more and more as I advance in the, you know, in the second half of my career. My next great opportunity will ideally be a place where I can make an impact. It will be a hidden treasure 
uh, of a company. It might not be the the largest part of a, a company. It might be a small division. It might be a startup, or it might be a great family-owned mid-sized company. Well, wherever wherever you land, wherever you go, you're going to make an impact. Uh, your voice uh, routinely rings in my ears. Uh, you were, you taught me about clearly defining roles and responsibilities, and I will forever be in your debt uh, for that. It was one of the early, early stages of my continuous improvement and organizational health journey. And I want to thank you for that, Oliver. And thank you for all your contributions today uh, for our audience and to our listeners. Uh, so my name is Andy Tempty. This is the Balancing Act podcast. You can find us on all the major services out there as well as on YouTube. Uh, please like, subscribe, rate, share the show. Uh, we're creating a public good here uh, that uh, we want to help as many people as we can learn and grow. Thank you again for being here, Oliver. Thank you. Thank you for paying it forward and good luck with the new book.